Bretto, the Wellness Base Camp hits your hometown of Adelaide this weekend. Oh, I'm so pumped, MP. The Brisbane Base Camp was a sellout and the feedback was inspiring. Christine said, keep up the incredible work and energy. You made me feel so, so good. Kira said, I loved all the speakers and the vibe in the room and there were so many aha moments. And Lauren said, no matter how many times I hear each of these people speak, I learn new things and always have action steps to take away. Oh, how inspiring is that, MP? It's great to see this event making a real shift in people's lives, Bretto. So jump on board for Adelaide folks, Kim Morrison, Damien Christoph, JP and Andy from Smashed Avocado, myself and the hometown hero, Brett Hill. Oh, MP. The Wellness Base Camp, Saturday, April 7 at the Arca Bar in Adelaide. Two for one tickets available with the code COUNTDOWN at thewellnessbasecamp.com on Eventbrite or search for the Wellness Base Camp Adelaide on Facebook. The code again is COUNTDOWN with the tickets available at thewellnessbasecamp.com on Eventbrite or by typing the Wellness Base Camp Adelaide on Facebook. TheWellnessCouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. Welcome to a place of wellness and healing for both your body and mind. Get ready to live a happy, healthy, whole food life that totally rocks. You're listening to Shiny Healthy You, the straight-talking natural health show for busy women with your host and naturopath, Jules Galloway. Today's guest has a personal story to share that is bound to resonate with many of you. You see, she dearly wanted to have children, but struggled for years with infertility. She was diagnosed with a condition that you may have heard of called PCOS, which stands for polycystic ovarian syndrome. It makes it very difficult for women to fall pregnant. So she embarked upon a mission to do whatever she could to tip the odds in her favor. And the biggest change she made was to her diet with stunning results. She now helps other women to walk the same path Please welcome to the show, the very brave and very lovely Kim Campbell. (laughs) Thank you for having me. It's so exciting to talk to you. Now, you sound like you're not from here, but you actually live just up the road from me, don't you? I do. I do. I'm very close to you, but I'm originally from Seattle in the States, but I moved over to Australia about 15 years ago. So still obviously have kept my um, accent though. Uh, It's probably one of those things, darling, where... If you go back to the States, you sound Australian to them and then you come here and you sound American to us. Is that right? You know what? That's so funny that you say that because that's exactly what happens. That's exactly what happens. So it must be some sort of hybrid, although I think obviously Australians can't hear it. I must sound really American and yeah, it's, it's very strange. And then when I travel somewhere like in another country, everyone's like, I have no idea where you're from. (laughs) I have no idea where your accent's from. (laughs) Love it. Love it. All right. Now, first up, why don't you tell us what exactly is PCOS and how did you find out that you had it? Sure. Um, So PCOS, which you explained, is short for um, polycystic ovarian syndrome. And it's a hormone disorder. And it's actually really quite common. It affects about 15 to 20% of women. Um, It can cause a range of symptoms. most common are irregular periods, um, infertility, which you had mentioned before, acne, weight gain, hirsutism, male pattern baldness. Um, and I feel like a lot of women as well struggle with um, different, you know, uh, mental health issues, depression, anxiety. Um, so it's 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 very common, um, and unfortunately, there's lots of symptoms. 
associated with it. And I kind of always was quite sickly. Um, I never had a regular period. Um, but, but then I had lots of other, you know, random issues where I, um, I struggled with insomnia. I struggled with depression, anxiety. Um, I struggled with stomach fat a lot, even from a young age, even though I was quite active, um, quite low, low energy, um, so it wasn't until my 30s when I was trying to fall pregnant that I was actually diagnosed. And I feel like that's quite common. You probably would see that in your practice a lot where yep. um, normally you, doctors, um, like a you know normal Western doctor, I feel like they would just give a woman, oh, you have your regular period here, put you on the pill, that'll, fi- that'll fix it. So they're kind of treated for their symptoms instead of actually diagnosed, oh, you've got polycystic ovarian syndrome. Um, you know, this, these are the things you can do to, to deal with the underlying issues. So I went through a lot of doctors um, before I was even given a diagnosis and then went through a lot more, di- <laughs> a lot more doctors before I actually <laughs> got answers about what I could actually do to fix it instead of just, you know, given different um, solutions for my symptoms. So it was quite a long journey. It was a very long journey of, of finally getting diagnosed and figuring out how to treat it. So how many doctors did you go through before someone actually offered you a scan to look for the cysts on the ovaries? Oh, God. you know, I, don't, I probably would have lost count because um, I had an you know, irregular period since I was 12. Um, so anytime in my teens, my 20s, um, someone could have done it. It was, and it was probably, it wasn't until I was really motivated and like pushing with doctors in my 30s that it... I really got somewhere with it. So maybe, I don't know, three or four in my 30s doctors before someone was like, oh no, this is like classic PCOS. Oh my God. So when you say it affects 15 to 20% of women, how many of those women are walking around undiagnosed having only been to two or three doctors and just being told the same thing and then they kind of go, oh, okay, I'll just go on the pill then? Yes, it's ridiculous. It's amazing. Yeah, it's, it's quite frustrating to see. Yeah. Yeah. That stuff really gets me. It's a little bit like endometriosis. Like I've got endo and they say that like 10% of women potentially have that in a sort of Australia and US, et cetera. And same thing. It's like, okay, out of that 10%, how many people just think they get a bit of period pain, take some painkillers or go on the pill? Yes. Yes. It's, yeah, it's incredible. I mean, and that's why, you know, your podcast and your blog and is so important because you're actually getting the information out there because I, I feel like, in this day and age, we really have to be our own health advocates um, and really, really push for um, finding the information ourselves a lot of time or finding someone like you who can actually, um, you know, properly give us the information that we need and, and diagnosis. So, yeah, it's, yeah, it's amazing. So maybe we should go over some of those symptoms again, just in case someone's listening going, oh, my God, is that me? Sure. Um, so irregular periods. Uh, yes. Yep. Irregular periods. Um, what else? Hirsutism, which is which can be common. I mean, there's kind of two classic types of PCOS. Um, there's lean PCOS, which which I had, and then more of a classic PCOS, which women tend to be um, really struggle with weight gain. Um, and uh, male pattern baldness is another one. So I with you know quite high testosterone levels yeah um, oh, and so just in, just to interrupt if sure. anyone's wondering what hersutism is it's just abnormal patterns of body hair isn't it like that's right extra yeah, so hair where it shouldn't really be that's right kind of where i guess men would get it on you know on your face or 
um, in other areas. Um, yeah. In acne, acne is very, a very common one, um, which I struggled with as well. And then infertility is very common. And you know, when you're when you're trying to fall pregnant, it can be quite difficult. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned like the extra fat around the stomach as well. I see that mm. a lot, like with a lot of mm. my PCOS people, but you're right. They're the classic PCOS people quite often. Mm. Um, and they have that kind of diabetes look to them, you know, yes. you just so yes. much as look at some sugar and it deposits itself on your belly. Yes. Yes. I know exactly what that's like. Um, yeah. So insulin resistance as well. So a lot of women with um, polycystic ovarian syndrome are insulin resistance and that kind of a lot, and then a lot, you know, kind of go on to get type two diabetes. Um, yeah. and, and also energy, miscarriage. The yes. Levels that go Low up and energy. down. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, and then too, I mean, on the infertility side, you know, you see a lot of women with PCOS that, um, have, you know, struggle with a higher risk of miscarriage, more likely to have gestational diabetes as well. Yeah. Um, I actually had it during my pregnancy, even though I was, um, eating really well and kind of gotten my period back. Um, I still tested for that gestational diabetes, even though while I tested during my pregnancy, I had like perfect blood sugar levels because of the way I ate. But I think there's that, um, you know, just to have that um, likelihood of, of getting it and you're very sensitive. Yeah. Because once you've done the damage to those insulin receptors, like there's always going to be that kind mm. of predisposition just lurking. Yes, yes, yes. Yep. Yeah. Okay. And then you've got your lean PCOS people that I, I always was taught at college that if, you know, you've got your classic sort of apple shaped PCOS person, then you've got your lean PCOS person. And they're the ones that I think slip through the system a lot. Yes. And, and we were always told with those people that you must support their adrenals because they're, mm. running, they're running on stress hormones. Is that mm. what you found too? Yes. That, yeah. And that was me exactly. So, so I was I've always been quite thin, um, which is probably one of the reasons why I was so hard to be diagnosed. I mean, for me, what um, kind of gave it away was I had the irregular periods and then I did have the kind of classic um, string of pearls that they're called. So if you kind of was give, if you're given an ultrasound and you, you can kind of see these cysts where um, from ovulating, you know, you can ovulate multiple times um, during a cycle or, you know, for me, I, I would go, you know, eight months without actually having a period. Um, but I kind of had those classic cysts. So for me too, I was very active. I was, uh, you know, uh, quite sporty. I played a lot of basketball, um, in the United States growing up, um, and did a lot of other sports. And, and so, um, was quite thin, but also had really a hard time dealing with stress and was chronically stressed. Um, kind of, you know, wasn't sleeping um, and kind of exactly how you had explained, um, was then diagnosed with adrenal fatigue uh, in my 30s when I finally met a doctor, a functional practitioner, similar to a naturopathic doctor who could actually tell me what was going on. Yeah. So yes, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Perfect description. Yeah. So why do you think you developed PCOS in the first place? Well, I mean, I I think a lot of it's quite unknown in in some ways what exactly causes it, et cetera. But I, I know there's a genetic component to it, but I, there's also an environmental component to it. And for me, I probably had those genes and then I definitely switched those genes on uh, by not eating well, you know? So I kind of grew up in a household where, uh, you know, we just, 
ate a lot of fast food. Um, I grew up eating cereal for breakfast. Yeah, for most did. meals. <laughs> <laughs> that was like my go-to literally. You know, I moved out of home when I was quite young, never learned to cook. So I literally lived off sugary cereals. Um, in the United States, you know, like high fructose corn syrup is in everything. Oh, God. Egg, you know, ego waffles that in like with lots of syrup, you know, with high, high fructose corn syrup in it. So it was, I definitely um, wasn't managing it through diet at the time, which probably made things a lot worse and continued my journey down that road of, um, you know, just making my symptoms worse and worse. Um, and over exercising, I I was a runner, so I did a lot of um, a lot of running, and I was probably quite nutritionally depleted because I wasn't eating properly. I was not eating anything that had any nutritional value, um, and I was always chronically stressed. So I was kind of like all like the triple whammy of doing everything to myself that I shouldn't. That kind of was making my um, the PCOS worse. Oh, man, yeah, it's like we just dig ourselves into that hole, don't we? We don't know we're doing it. That's it. I had no idea. I had no idea. I thought I thought it was normal. <laughs> yeah. You know, I thought, oh, I'm exercising, you know, this is really good. And I didn't know, you know, stress management was so important. I didn't know diet was important. And um, it wasn't until my 30s when I was struggling to get pregnant that someone actually, you know, gave me this, the information I needed to, to make changes. Yeah. Yeah. And we've been fed the wrong info, like, you know, breakfast cereal is low in fat, so it's okay, right? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I ate low fat. I was, I, yeah. I think I counted calories. Like I, you know, I thought I was doing the right thing and I was just completely um, doing the exact wrong thing. So pretty frustrating looking back. So what options did conventional medicine offer you when you were first diagnosed with PCOS? And did you do any of them? Did they work? I, yes. So I was, um, I, so it was in my thirties, I was diagnosed and immediately I was, I was told, okay, well to get pregnant, you know, you're going to have to do fertility treatments. So I did, um, six rounds of Clomid, um, and I did fall pregnant on the second round of Clomid, uh, but then miscarried. Um, and then after six rounds, they're like, oh, well, Clomid's not going to work for you anymore. It has to work within the first six times. Um, let's move on uh, to something else. So then I did an ovulation induction cycle, uh, fell pregnant again, and then miscarried um, after that as well, and then was moved on to IVF. So I was doing, um, did quite a few cycles of IVF as well. Um, so that was like the mainstream, this is how you deal with um, infertility when you have PCOS is let's get you on um, some fertility treatments. Uh, yeah. So that was, yeah, so it was a very long journey of doing that. Um, and it wasn't until about the middle of when I was kind of in the midst of it that I um, actually found a, a doctor who was like, no, hold on, let's, let's look at your lifestyle. Let's look at your diet. Um, and, and started to make those, those changes, those lifestyle changes instead. Um, but I was also doing these kind of, I was in the middle of it and thinking, okay, this is how I get pregnant and continue to do the IVF. Um, when I, as I started making the changes to my diet and my lifestyle. Yeah. So can I ask how old you were when you were going through these rounds of IVF? Yeah. So it was, I was 30 when I started, I think. Yeah. 30 or 31. Um, and it was about four and a half years of uh, going through fertility treatments. 
Yeah. Now I know that IVF can be a super, super hard road for a lot of women. How mm. did it affect you emotionally? Oh, it was, it was so difficult. It was so difficult. Um, probably increased my stress a lot. Um, and just emotionally, you know, I, it was a real struggle and kind of, you know, also dealing with these feelings of failure. I, I thought I'd never be able to fall pregnant. I had no, uh, I, I did not believe in myself. I did not. And even when I started changing my diet and my lifestyle, I didn't believe that those would actually lead to me being able to fall pregnant naturally. I thought um, that I had to continue to, to take this, the medical route of, um, you know, IVF, etc. So it was, it was really difficult. Um, but halfway through that journey, I did start kind of dis discovering again these lifestyle changes and that did really help i started doing a lot of uh, mindfulness meditation um and just learning about mindfulness and kind of radical acceptance and i did start applying a lot of these um you know cognitive um tools which helped me i think deal deal with this emotional roller coaster that i was on when i was going through ivf yeah yeah right so you went through a few different doctors and a few mm. different treatments. How did you end up on the doorstep of the functional medicine practitioner? Because that was a lucky choice. It was. It, and it was literally by just, just pure luck that it happened. I was, I was talking to a friend and her mother had gone to see um, this doctor in Sydney who was a, a functional practitioner and um, was raving about how she was amazing and she had a waiting list of like six months to a year to, for people to get in to see her and she could, you know, solve any problem. And I was like, oh, well, that sounds good. And I literally didn't even go because of the infertility. I just went because I was quite like just sickly. Like I was always sick with something. Um, I think, I, and I think it was really bad acid reflux. I think that's why I went in to see her. Um, and but you know she took two hours with me and w was asking these questions about you know about my irregular periods about all of these things about my stress levels um, and ended up you know being this person who fixed everything <laughs> not just yeah. the acid reflux so it was literally just just luck that I um, that I found her yeah I read that on your website that. Um even though the PCOS got better, that was like only one thing. Like mm. was it the reflux, acne, depression, what happened? Yeah, <laughs> it was amazing. It was amazing. So, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, my cortisol levels were quite high. So by treating that, you know, I was able to kind of um, no longer have insomnia. Um, I have pyrrole disorder, which I think y yep. you talk about as well. Yep. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I have it too. And I get a lot of clients through my practice who've got it. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So, I mean, that was huge for me because I dealt with a lot of mental health stuff since I was young. Um, so that was amazing. So she put me on a formula, um, started taking a lot of zinc and is it B6? Is yep. that those the two? Yep. Yeah. Um, and that really helped with, you know, depression, anxiety. Um, my acid reflux completely disappeared after taking like a food intolerance test and eliminating all of those foods out of my diet. 
Um, so that was cool. I was like, oh, my acid reflux is gone. Like just it, literally everything just started dropping off my list of these things I had dealt with my whole life. Um, it was just incredible. I was, I was just amazed. And on top of that, I started getting a regular period slowly over the years. <laughs> so that was just like the icing on the cake. I know you'd be like, hello, you. Where have you been all my life? <laughs> I, I was like, what is this? <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> So, so which foods did you have to give up? Oh, it was quite a long list. Um, so sugar was a, a huge one for me and that took a very long time to eliminate. Um, and not just like refined sugar, you know, it was pretty much every type of sugar, you know, sauces, like that was a very long learning curve for me, like where all these hidden sources of sugar, um, so high GI carbohydrates, processed foods. Um, and then as far as um, intolerances, uh, gluten, dairy um, were the big ones. Eggs, I ended up being intolerant to eggs. Um, and then lots of random things, bananas, cranberries, sesame seeds. Um, but pretty much the gluten, dairy, and egg like eliminated almost ever being able to eat out or <laughs> go yeah. over to somebody's house and eat eat their food. So that that was a really those were the three difficult ones for me. Yeah. Um, let's see what else, and then just instead kind of eating quite a you know a high fat, high protein, lots of non starchy vegetables, um, and then just small amounts of low GI carbs from whole food sources. Um, and, and it was a long process. It was a really long process doing that. Like it wasn't an overday, uh, overnight, um, you know, change for me. It was, you know, I never, I never learned how to cook. Um, I wasn't that into food. Like I just wanted to like eat and get it over with. Um, <laughs> so it was, it was a really difficult journey for me to kind of get from that point of where I started to where I am now. It was at least a couple years of, um, of hard work and really changing my habits and, and changing yeah. my lifestyle. So let me get this straight. You weren't really that into food and now <laughs> you run programs that teaches teaches people with PCOS what to eat. That, that's it. It's amazing. It's amazing. Yeah. It's amazing. Isn't it? It really was this huge, um, huge pivot in my life um, where I went from really not caring, like knowing I wanted to eat healthy, but you know, not really doing it very well or even knowing what to do to just completely like immersing myself into um, and becoming really passionate about, uh, you know, diet and, and, and health. So it was, yeah, it was, it was quite a, <laughs> quite a 180 for me, definitely. But I think it's also great because people can look at me and be like, well, I can't do that. You know, that's way too hard. But I, I feel like if someone like me who hate, hated cooking, really didn't care about food, um, had no interest whatsoever can turn around and do this 180 and find this passion and, um, and see the results from it. I feel like anyone can do it. Um, so in a way it's, I'm probably a really good example that, you know, it really is possible no matter where you come from, no matter what your starting point is. Yeah. Yep. That's it. So what foods do you get people to avoid in your program? Well, uh, processed foods, um, sugar, sugar is a huge one. And, and I think um, that's a real struggle for a lot of people because it's quite a, quite addictive and it's in yep. everything. Yeah. Uh, um, 
kind of steering away from high GI carbohydrates and, and more um, finding the right type of carbohydrates to eat. So, you know, quinoa and um, black rice or wild rice and um, sweet potato and kind of, um, you know, these whole food sources of and a, quite a small amount as well. Um, and then gluten and dairy, I kind of, I, I feel like everybody should try going off gluten and dairy because it is so common. Um, especially women with PCOS. I mean, normally, and, and I'm sure you see this as women with PCOS have this kind of chronic, um, low level inflammation happening yeah. and, and gluten and dairy, I feel like just cutting that out at least for a while, um, can really make a big difference. And, and I see that. So I run this, um, 30 day, this free 30 day PCOS diet challenge where I give women um, meal plans and kind of give them these nutrition lessons and show them what to cut out and then give them these meal plans of what to eat. And you would be amazed by how many changes just from cutting gluten dairy that so many women see. Yeah. Um, so those are the, the most common ones. Um, and, and then, I mean, I do recommend that people do go and get like an intolerance test. I mean, that's obviously not something I can do for them, um, which is kind of why we, we stick with the, the gluten and the dairy uh, to begin with. But then I, you know, just teaching people like to become more aware of how they feel after they eat, I think is really important. Um, and I think too, like once you start eating healthy and once you start cutting these things out of your diet, you become much more aware of like what it feels like to feel good and not feel like crap after you yeah. eat because I feel like you almost just become used to it like you don't even notice it but then once you eat healthy for say you know for 30 days over this challenge you, I hear from women that are like oh my goodness I never noticed like I ate gluten and then I, I felt awful afterwards or I ate this really sugary dessert and I felt really terrible after or I got this rash or you know I had really bad reflux so I think eating clean for a while can you can start to become a lot more um, aware of the types of foods that do um, you your body doesn't doesn't want to eat or you know the types of intolerances you might have. Yeah, and I think it's absolutely possible that a person could get to thirty, even forty years old, even eighty years old, not knowing what it's like to feel good. Like, mm, absolutely. If you eat gluten and dairy with every meal and you happen to be susceptible to, you know, intolerances, mm. like potentially every meal nearly that you've eaten has contained something in there that doesn't make you feel optimal. So yes. imagine like the difference and the surprise when, <laughs> when you finally avoid those foods for a while and go, oh, <laughs> It was amazing. Like it was so funny too because I started getting really bad acid reflux in my twenties, and immediately I was given, um, you know, pills to to like stop yeah. the acidity. Um, but still, I always just felt quite sick. You know, if I didn't take them for a day, I'd feel nauseous after I ate, and I just got used to it. Like it was just kind of normal and. It was just such a bizarre feeling after cleaning up my diet to be like, oh, that's not normal. Yeah. <laughs> I shouldn't feel like that. It's like, it's you like just get used to it. The acid yeah. reflux goes away and you're like, what? <laughs> yeah, it was so weird. I was like, what is going on? But it's like the, the, the drugs that they give you for reflux, I mean, things like Nexium, et cetera, like they're, they're given out without 
sort of much thought to ever coming off them. Like I've I've had so many people come to me and say, oh yeah, I've been told I'll just be on that for the rest of my life. And that's how it is. Like, like it's not even, it's not even a big deal. Like, yes. And, and I've even had parents come to me with tiny little children, like one as young as she was not even three Mm. and, and told, She'll just be on that for the rest of her life, but that's yes. okay. Yes. And I'm like, that's not okay. No, that's it. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing um, too, like with my my son, I've got an 11 month old and, you know, because I don't have dairy, I don't have gluten, like he's never had any issues with, um, you know, uh, throwing up, like he never throws up. He's never had any sort of issues that I see a lot of other um Babies having oh because God, he doesn't I, get any of that through the breast milk. Seriously, can I like wheel you out to tell everyone <laughs> that? Because again, like we're just taught that you know b- babies throwing up all the time—that's really that's normal. normal. Like, no, it's common. It's yes, it doesn't make it normal. It just means that everyone's got the problem, like asthma. Yes. That's not normal. Yes. (laughs) Oh God, I know. It's so funny. And I see, you know, I mean, it was joined a lot of Facebook groups when I had my son and I see all these babies that are put on, they're put on stuff for their, for their reflux, like at very, very young ages. And I just think, God, if you could just take some of the food out of your diet, like you, you could totally change your experience, you know, as well. You know, he, he slept better. He, ate better. He was a happier baby because of it. Yeah. That's amazing. Like mm. yeah, we need to tell more people. Mm. Yes. yes. Cause then it's not just about your health. It's about your whole family's health. Yes. Hey, what if you've got a baby that sleeps and isn't colicky? Hello, mum gets sleep too. Mm. That's it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's really interesting, isn't it? Uh, yeah, it kills me slowly. Really, it does. <laughs> <laughs> There's more work to be done. Yes, <laughs> but it's good. It's like the more people like you that can get out there and say those things, like the better. The more yes. people hear, and I think that's the beauty of these Facebook groups is there are people in there helping each other with those sorts of options now. Mm, true. Yes, yeah. true. I feel like it is more common now for women to think, oh, maybe I should cut something out of my diet. Um, if I'm breastfeeding and in my baby's having reflux, it's, it's definitely yeah. starting to become a bit more common, but, um, and it's not going to solve everybody's reflux problem. It's not going to, you know, help every baby to sleep better or whatever, but you know, I think it's worth just trying because with, th- with something like that, like you'll usually notice a difference quite quickly as well. Mm. Yes. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. Like when you gave up the gluten and the dairy and, and all those other funky ones, the eggs, the bananas, the cranberry, the sesame. Mm. By the way, cranberry intolerance is like really common. I see them a lot. Is it? Yes. Like, and I'm like, what's with the cranberries? Is That's it so random. soaked in sugar? I don't know what's um. going on with the cranberries. But yeah, cranberries and bananas and sesame are actually really common that I see like come back on. Oh, that's, that's really interesting you say that because I was like, this is so random. <laughs> interesting okay yeah yeah. I especially those cranberries I'm like those little suckers what are they up to yeah yeah, don't know what's going on there Um, so how long after giving up those foods did you actually feel better quite quickly yeah I mean it was was quite quickly Um, but for me it was more a case of of being consistent and being strict and, and, um, getting to a point where I wasn't 
where emotionally I wasn't feeling deprived and I actually wanted to eat that way. Mm. So, um, you know, I, th- I think I went through a real transition period of, st- you know, not eating it, but then once cheating and, you know, having something and then feeling really sick and then not. And then, so it, w- it was probably a couple of years in before I was actually really strict about it where I would never eat it. Um, and that kind of went from feeling, you know, better to like much better. Um, yeah. So it was really just, it was, it was, it was quite quick, um, me feeling better, but it, it kind of took me being disciplined and getting to that point where I could, you know, notice the dis have that different stick and be long-term. Yeah. I think that feeling of deprivation yes. comes up. Yes. Sparks our inner rebel. In exactly. So many yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, You're like, I, screw you. I'm eating the bread. I'm eating it. I'm eating it. Yes. Oh, it's, no, yeah. And it's bread. difficult. Like it's really difficult to leave your house if you can't eat gluten or dairy. If You know, you have to bring something with you if um, you get hungry during the day or, you know, to try to find a restaurant where uh, you can find something on the menu. So it's, you know, I feel like you have to be really prepared. You have to be really, um, you have to know, know your foods really well, know your area well, um, and just always be on top of it in order to, to stick with this type of diet. It's, you know, society doesn't make it very easy. And also just going over to, you know, dealing, um, going over to friends' houses, you kind of, you know, you kind of feel like that really annoying person who is <laughs> like, oh, sorry, yeah. I can't eat that. Oh, I can't eat that. So getting to a point where I felt comfortable with, you know, explaining that I couldn't eat certain things or offering to bring food myself, um, you know, it's a, re- it's a real process to, to get to that point. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm. I think it's easier to go and be that guy at a restaurant than it is to be that guy at a friend's. Or, yes, or that house. is the most difficult, definitely. Because the I, restaurant's not allowed to question you in that way. They, the restaurant won't sit down and go, now listen, you know, I've read studies that said that if you don't have celiac disease, you should definitely still be able to eat gluten. And it's all just, you know, it's all just yes. and, and I'm like, yes. oh, you know, if you go around to a friend's house, you, you're in danger of copying that. Yeah. Yes, yeah, that's right. Absolutely. So it's, I feel like it's getting comfortable with um, the more you know. So knowledge is power and being able to have those conversations, but also just feeling comfortable with, you know, drawing a, drawing a boundary and saying, you know, this is, this is me and this is what I can and can't eat. Yep. I'm worth it. I'm going to back myself mm. in this. Mm. I, yeah, I think it comes down to how badly you want it and how badly you want it is going to be related to how whether you believe it's actually going to work as well. Yes. Yeah. That's a really good point. Yeah. Oh, so much psychology behind it as well, huh? Yes. Yes, absolutely. I, um, one of the things I really love and have been getting into is intuitive eating. I don't know if you've, yep. um, yeah. So I, uh, I run this 10 week program, um, for women who kind of want to go in deeper after the 30 day challenge. And in it, we have a, a module where it's an intuitive eating module and we go really into depth into the, the principles of intuitive eating. And it is amazing how um, transformative it can be, you know, because there is this mindset of deprivation and and kind of um, transitioning from that to like, no, I want to eat this way because it makes me feel good. And because these are my long-term goals and getting into a different headspace is, um, I find that, you know, using those principles of intuitive eating is, is really, um, can be really helpful. Yeah. And I, I love what Dr. Libby Weaver says 
on the subject of eating when she said when you you know when you're considering a food you ask the question does this serve me yes simple yes Yes. And if it's if it does, happy days, eat it. And if it's serving you because you just really needed a small tub of ice cream on the couch that night because <laughs> your boyfriend's broken up with you, well, then that's okay too. Yeah, yes, yeah. <laughs> and taking the guilt the guilt out of it as well. Yeah, is just really as long important. as you're not serving yourself with ice cream on the couch every night. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Which I definitely used to do. <laughs> yeah, didn't, didn't we all? Oh my yeah. god! I, oh, I loved my ice cream. Oh, me too. I, <laughs> me too. And it's funny that you call it my ice cream because I swear, getting back to the psychology stuff, like as soon as someone puts the word "my" in front of the food, I always know that we've got a battle on our hands. Mm, yes, yeah. it's like it's just <laughs> in that language. As soon as they say, if they, if someone says, "Oh yeah, I love ice cream," but if so, you know, that's okay. We can deal with that. But if someone says oh yeah I love my ice cream or I love my Bundy and Coke or I love my red wine or I love Mm. and I'm like "Uh uh-oh this is going to be slightly more of a challenge than yes. if I hadn't used the word my. All right, here we go. <laughs> Uh-oh, so I, gave, I really gave myself away there, didn't I? <laughs> I know, right? I know, I know. Yeah. All right, what else did you do besides diet to heal your PCOS? Uh, so, so the other... Two main things were, which I just mentioned briefly, was I I changed the way I exercised and I really started to implement stress management. Um, So with exercise, uh, I stopped running, um, which was really difficult for me because I loved running. I loved those endorphins. That was kind of like my go-to. But instead, I kind of focused more on um, progressive resistance training and interval training and yoga um, and and stopped kind of uh, doing those really long cardio um, routines. And with stress management, um, you know, that's been probably the most difficult and still is probably the most ongoing difficult thing for me. I think I've got the diet down, the exercise down, but I I still definitely struggle with the stress management just because I'm such a type A personality Um, just such a go, go, go person. Um, so, you know, but unfortunately women with PCOS, they are more susceptible to stress and they also have a harder time dealing with it. Um, and then it's kind of this vicious cycle where stress is, you know, it's inflammatory, so it's making our PCOS worse. And then we can't really, we are more susceptible to it and we have a hard time dealing with it. So it's breaking that cycle and, you know, I guess eliminating those triggers, um, learning self-care, I'm learning how to prioritize myself and prioritize my health, um, you know, and saying, no, 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 what's more important is that I eat well, that I get my sleep. Um, I got into a lot of doing a lot of uh, mindfulness meditation. Um, so, you know, and that's still a really ongoing process for me. I, I find that I, I get into it and I do a good job and then something happens or I get busy and then I kind of have to just start all over again. Um, so that's yeah. kind of, that's, I, I would say that's kind of my Achilles heel where I'm still really, really struggling sometimes with that and going a bit back and forth with um, trying to manage that. I think that's a, that's a type A affliction. Yes. Well. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm just yeah. sitting here nodding, nodding, going. Yeah, <laughs> you, yeah. yeah. It's, um, it's really difficult. It's, I find it really difficult. Yeah. So, you, you know, you talked about the stress management for yourself. Uh, how can stress make PCOS worse? 
I mean, you you might be even better able to answer this, but my understanding of it is that um, it's it's inflammatory. So, um, you know, with PCOS, it's this we have this kind of chronic um, inflammation going on. So if we're with our stress, we're kind of just we're adding to that. We're increasing increasing our um, our inflammation. Um, I mean, you you might even want to go into more detail with it. Yeah, I guess I, I would add that it uh, stress causes an increase in cortisol, which we've already spoken yes. about, yeah. and yeah. cortisol messes with your insulin. Yes, so you're more likely yes. to produce more insulin res- in response to the sugar and the carbs that you mm. eat. So if you yes. do eat some of those, you know, higher GI foods, then you'll actually have a bigger insulin response, and then more weight gain and so i think it just perpetuates the cycle from that blood sugar point of view as well yes Um, and it's also going to deplete your body of essential nutrients that you need in order to have a healthy hormone balance so yes uh, and potentially if you're making increased cortisol you're stealing precursors from your reproductive hormone system in order to make those stress hormones so Mm. Yeah, lots of reasons, I think. Yes, yeah, yeah. And I feel like with stress as well, I, it's really um, underrated when people talk about treating and managing PCOS. I think um, when people talk about it, it's kind of just is like, oh, yeah, and, you know, stress can cause it as well. But it's actually really important. It's a, it's, it's a very, very important factor that you want to treat and you want to deal with. Um, so I think pro- making that a priority and understanding how important it is um, is something that that people still need to kind of g- get across and and understand. Yeah, and you do you hear those? It, it's it's like that the urban myth type situation almost. You hear all the stories about the women who finally you know the stress is is gone. And then they magically get pregnant and yes. that, that's what perpetuates everyone going, oh, you just need to relax and let go. And yes. And it's like, oh, okay. I just threw up in the back of my throat a little bit, but yeah. you're on the right track. You're just delivering yes. it a bit wrong. Yes. Yes, <laughs> yeah. absolutely. But, but there's so many cases time and time again of people who've, you know, taken that pressure off to get mm. pregnant and then they get pregnant. Mm. Oh, Mm. yes (laughs) it's very interesting isn't it so we know we know that that relaxed women are more fertile it's just that the science is still figuring out all the different reasons why but there's definitely lots of reasons why yep absolutely yeah all right well if someone's sitting here going oh my god oh my god oh my god this is me but they're feeling overwhelmed uh what are some simple first steps that they can take to get started? Well, I think I think tackling diet is the number one thing you should look at if you're just starting out because um, that's where you're going to probably see the, the biggest changes um, and you're going to get real bang for your buck. Um, so like we were talking about, you know, cutting out sugar, that's probably the biggest thing you, you could possibly do with your diet. Um, and, and, you know, and learning where all these possible um, sources of sugar come from that might be hidden in foods that you're eating, cutting out um, processed foods, trying to cut out gluten and dairy and, and seeing how you feel with that. Um, and then kind of sticking with this kind of high fat, high protein, lots of non-starchy veggies diet um, and just eating carbs smartly. Um, you know, it's so not eating these high GI carbs, but more um, focusing on, you know, whole food sources of, of carbs. So I, f- I feel like that's a really good um, 
that's where you should focus if if this is because it's it can be really overwhelming. I mean, we talked about a lot. There's a lot of things um, that you can do, but focusing on diet first, I think, is number one. Yeah, I love that. And great segue, mate. <laughs> <laughs> just, oh, yeah, so and <laughs> that's what you do. <laughs> I do, I do. So, yeah, I mean, so I, I, I would say if, if you do have polycystic ovarian syndrome or you, you think that you might, um, I do run this 30-day PCOS diet challenge. It's totally free. It's four weeks of meal plans and nutritional lessons. Um, and we, it's we do a lot of stuff on social media. So it's, it's really cool if you're someone who kind of needs a support network or um, kind of need to up your motivation because um, we do it live uh, four, uh, four times a year. So we just had one that's ending. I'm not sure when this um, is going to be released, but I think released we've got an- in April, probably okay. mid-April. Yep. So we'll have another one coming up quite soon. Um, so that I, I'd say that's a great place to start because you kind of have that that support system and you can um, get some meals um, to start off with and um, it's not quite as overwhelming as it can be how it was for me when I started. Yeah, right. <laughs> oh, it was so overwhelming when I started. Oh, and I, I mean, I don't know if I finished my story, but the moral of the story was <laughs> I actually stopped doing IVF and fell pregnant naturally um, after getting a, a 30-day cycle. Um, <laughs> with diet. So it is possible, um, you know, and it's not just me. I really have seen so many other women um, doing the exact, making the exact same changes that I've made and, and having similar results. And I'm sure you've seen it a lot in your practice as well. Yeah, um, yep, absolutely. And look, even if you've, if you've got PCOS and you're not planning to have a baby, like do this stuff anyway. Oh, yes. You shouldn't hinge on whether or not you want to get pregnant. Like this stuff affects all your health. Yes. Your, health, your energy levels, you know, your, your anxiety levels, your depression levels, like the way you look, the way you feel. So it's not just all about getting pregnant, is it? Although, you know, fringe benefit. Yeah. <laughs> What's a fringe benefit for me? <laughs> uh, yeah, but absolutely. And especially when you're, as you get older, like women with PCOS are much higher risk for heart disease, diabetes, you know, liver disease, and even cancer. So I feel like you can get away from away with it for a certain amount. But, you know, even for me, if it hadn't been infertility at some point, I would have real, something would have knocked me on the head and I would have had to get my act together. So it's um, definitely worth starting earlier than later. Yeah. I love that. And we'll pop links to everything in the show notes, but uh, what's the website that you would like people to go to? Sure. Um, uh, So my blog is probably the best place to go and that's just smartfertilitychoices.com. Yeah. Um, and then the challenges run on my other website, which is beatpcos.com. Yeah. And that challenge is awesome. I had a quick squiz at the Facebook group that's attached to that. How many people are in there, woman? <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. It's so, and it's such a cool group of women. Like I, yeah, I just love, I'm, I'm in there daily. I love it. I love talking with them because everyone is so optimistic. Like it's a really difficult thing to do, but you know, there's so many women now who have done the challenge, have learned that they're, they're supporting each other. And it's just, um, yeah, it's pretty inspirational to, to see all these women making these massive changes and, and getting results. It's pretty cool. And it's a free group. So anyone's free to join. Love it. Love it. And I love that you're holding space for them all. It's just sensational. Yeah. It's pretty cool. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on the show, Kim. Now, finally, 
if someone is listening to this and they're right in the thick of it right now, like they're struggling mm-hmm. with infertility, they're desperate to have a baby, the cl- you know, that horrible bloody mm-hmm. ticking, um, mm-hmm. what advice can you offer them right now to help lift their spirits? <sighs> I, well, I think, I think for me, and hopefully uh, this, this can help um, other people as well, is I found that once I knew that there was something that I could do to c- take control of the situation um, and that there was hope and that, uh, you know, there, w- there were all these people having these results that it, it kind of believing and being, be- being able to believe in myself that it was possible. I think, I think that is really helpful. And I think I would encourage people if they're in the thick of it um, to, to look at these things like diet, like exercise, like stress management, and maybe focus some attention on, on that in kind of taking control because you can, you can take control of this situation. You, you do have the ability to, um, you know, to make yourself healthier, to be able to get into a situation where you can fall pregnant um, naturally or just get healthier if you're doing IVF and be in a situation where the IVF is more likely to, to help or, you know, doing Clomid. Yeah. So I think just knowing that it that it is possible that you do have the ability to to take control of the situation and do something about it can can really um, bring some hope to the situation. Yeah, and even little changes and little steps will absolutely help you feel so empowered to be able to then take the next step and the next. Step. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Kim Campbell, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with us today. It's been wonderful. Um, and yeah, thank you very, very much for sharing your story as well. Cause I know it's not an always an easy one to tell and I'm so glad that it had a happy ending with you getting pregnant as well. So yeah, thank you so much for coming on shiny healthy you today. Thanks for having me. If you're struggling with PCOS, infertility, or any other kind of women's health issue, I hope you felt inspired by that chat with Kim Campbell. Remember, so much of it comes down to diet, so if you're ready to feel better, you can get the ball rolling by just making small changes regularly to move you in the right direction. If you liked this episode, make sure you hit subscribe because I've got plenty more cool stuff coming your way. We roll out a new app once a fortnight here on the Wellness Couch Network. If you'd like to see more about what I do, head over to my website at julesgalloway.com. There's a free gift over there to help you gain more energy and heal your adrenals. Plus, I also see clients via Skype and phone and I have health programs for women with adrenal fatigue. So head over there now for a look. That's all from me for the time being. See you in a fortnight. Stay shiny, look after yourself out there, and bye for now. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.